Let's open our Bibles back up to Ephesians chapter 4. Very quickly, Ephesians chapter 4 reminds you of those five verses that we looked at before our break. The great contrast between Gentiles in the flesh and Gentiles in the spirit that have a new man placed in them by the sovereign work of God in the regeneration. We read verses 17 through 19 of Ephesians chapter 4 and it described Gentiles walking in the vanity of their mind. Their understanding is darkened. They're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because they have blind hearts. They have no feeling for the things of Christ. Their, their feelings are for the things of this world, lasciviousness, and to work all uncleanness with greediness. They chase sin with a lust and passion for it. And we live in a nation like that. Gentiles after the flesh. But then verse 20 says to us, But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and been taught of him as the truth is in Jesus. If you have been taught by the true Jesus, and you've been taught the truth that that true Jesus spoke when he was here on earth, and is contained for us in Scripture, we will not be like those Gentiles described in verses 17 through 19. There will be a change in our lives. But ye have not so learned Christ, if you've truly heard Him, and if you've truly been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. Well, how do we get truly taught by Jesus, and how do we, how do we truly hear Him? By going into the written words of God, and finding out what Jesus actually said. We cannot go by church tradition. We cannot go by family habit. We cannot go by our politically correct ideas. We cannot go by religious theory. We cannot go by progressive preaching. We must go by what the Bible says Jesus actually taught. That's what we're trying to learn. You know that the Bible says in John 14, John 15, 1 John, and so in, in, in several places written by the Apostle John, of Jesus, he said... If ye love me, keep my commandments. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Keep my word. Keep my words. Jesus said this, and we want, that's how we show the truth as it is in Jesus, and we end up living lives very different from that description of Gentiles that we work with, live with, and can read about in our media. Look at John chapter 8, please, with me. John chapter 8. The wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ is our theme. We want to learn those wholesome words, and I want to take just a little while today, maybe next Sunday, whenever, however the Lord leads us, to consider some of the things He said. He said, if a man keep my sayings, and we want to learn those sayings, because that's what the New Testament is for. And I hope you heard me when I very quickly ran over the fact that when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he had to wear a veil because of the glory that was shining from his face because he had been in the presence of, the, of God. Even under the ceremonial worship of the Old Testament, it was still glorious. But the New Testament is much more glorious. Amen. And it tells us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I hope we delight in that. We just sang a song a few minutes ago where we sang in the chorus that it's joy unspeakable to follow Jesus Christ, and the half has never yet been told. Now, where were those words taken from? Those words were taken from the Queen of Sheba, saying that about watching Solomon ascend to his throne and be served at lunch. It blew her away. But Jesus said, a greater than Solomon is here, and the New Testament 
the half has never been told. Because Jesus in His wisdom, His understanding, His salvation, His glory, His character, His speech, His teaching, His learned tongue, every aspect you want to think of Him, far excels Solomon. The half has never been told. That's the joy unspeakable that Christians ought to have in their Savior. Your ability, your desire, your ability and your desire to know the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ is a gift from God. Look at John chapter 8 and the 37th verse. First of all, John eight thirty-seven. I know that ye are Abraham's seed. Jesus told these Jews, he meant in the flesh, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. This is seven verses, six verses, after the Bible tells us they believed on him. They saw enough that they believed he was probably telling them the truth, and he may be a special prophet sent to Israel. But he knew better, and so he began to provoke them by saying things that they took offensively. For instance, he immediately began by saying in verse 7, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. When in fact, these so-called believers would be leaving him in five minutes. Then in the next verse, verse 32, he said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Well, Jews didn't like being told that they could be free because they already considered themselves free, although, of course, they were slaves of the Roman Empire with soldiers in every town. But they thought they were free, so they immediately responded by saying, We are Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. While they're carrying coins with Caesar's impression on it. And Caesar's appointee, an Edomite named Herod, ruling over their nation. We're never in bondage to any man. Right. Right. And thou sayest, ye shall be made free. But we come down to the 37th verse and Jesus explains the whole issue of why this group of people did not like him. I know that ye are Abraham's seed according to the flesh, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. And this is the distinction that God makes among men. And we just read it, we just sang about that distinction. Did you notice in that one song we sang that if God had put the love of Christ in the hearts of all men, that all men would love Christ? But he hasn't done that. And William Cowper, who wrote that song, knew that. That he hasn't done that. If he had done that, there would be no more wars in the world. Because the bloodthirsty cruelty of men would be all taken away. And they'd be filled with brotherly love. But the Lord hasn't done that. And he hasn't done this. My word hath no place in you. And if, if the word of Jesus Christ has a place in your heart, so that when you hear it, it lines up with your heart. You agree with it. You, you love to hear it. You, you believe it. You want to keep it. You think it's a delightful and beautiful thing. God put that in you. Look at verse 43. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. They could audibly hear the noises and the syllables and the pronunciation of the words that Jesus preached, but they could not hear them with any understanding or affection. It was just rolling off their, their backs like rain off a duck's back. Have you ever sat under the preaching of the gospel in earlier days in your life where it didn't mean a thing to you? Your mind was off wandering someplace else. It had no place in your heart. We can, we can allow that to happen when we just listen carnally. Jesus said, take heed therefore how ye hear, because we can all be a wayside hearer, a stony ground hearer, a thorny ground hearer. 
The Lord knows that about us, and you should know that about you. But if, the, if, if you've ever heard the word of Christ and rejoiced at it, it's because God changed your heart. He opened your heart like He opened the heart of Lydia, that she attended to the things that were spoken by Paul. Verse 47 says, in this same chapter, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. He is addressing the children of the devil. He tells them that in verse 44. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. When he addresses an audience, he tells the majority of them, you are the children of the devil. He tells the minority of them, you are the children of God, and that's why you hear my word. He tells those children of the devil, it's because I tell you the truth that you won't believe me. Verse 45. Because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. If Jesus would start lying, they'd believe him. Hold on, hold on, let me find... Oh, I don't like using two Bibles. I was reading in a red-letter edition last night. I had a wonderful time with the Lord in John chapter 8. Just give... Oh, yeah, there it is. Oh, 8.55. People, you think, people think I'm harsh? Listen to Jesus of the Bible. John 8.55. Let's start at 54. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. This is the Jesus of the Bible. Do you love this Jesus? They don't preach this Jesus. He said, if I were to talk like you and say I don't know the Father, then I'd be a liar like the rest of you. You children of the devil. You're doing the lust of your Father. That's why you can't hear the things that I preach. Because you're not of God. He that is of God heareth God's words. And my point to you right now is for us in our hearts and with our lips to thank the God of heaven whom we are bound to thank if we appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ and His preaching. Because it's a work of grace for you to ever appreciate it. There was a division among the people because of Him and there has always been a division among the people because of Him. The modern Jesus, they want to get rid of division. Let's all unite. Can't we all get along? Don't we all love Jesus? That is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible is always causing division. He intends to cause division. That's why he spoke to them this way in John chapter 8. That's why he spoke to them the way he did in John chapter 6. That's why he talked about, I am the bread from heaven. And except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. He knew that was going to provoke them. He knew that was a hard saying. But he also knew, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Because he knew that most of those people listening to him were the children of the devil and would not listen to him. Do you want a proof that Jesus' doctrine is true? Then do it. Right. You say, well, isn't that getting the cart before the horse? Jesus said, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine. Right. Whether I speak of God or whether I speak of myself. John seven seventeen. If you want a proof that the words of Jesus Christ are true, then try them. Do them. Obey them. You'll find out that Jesus spoke the words of God. They're, they lead to the best life, the happiest life, the most fulfilled life is keeping the words of Jesus. Let's turn to John chapter 14. I'd like to give you guys five minutes of silence, and then let's have a race to see who wants to get up here and lay on us your favorite statements of Jesus Christ.
Lou was already trying to get me at break time with John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. And he was putting that in light of Psalm 23. That's what I wanted. That's what, I hope that's going on in every heart. I hope you want to go home and read the words of Jesus more than you did an hour ago or two hours or a day ago. The wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ and to be taught of Him and to hear Him. To truly hear Jesus through His written Word so that we're not like the Gentiles that we live among. So that it will change our lives. John 14, you know this. Well, where do I start in John 14? We'll be preaching for a decade. Is verse 1 good? My dad wants us to start with verse 1. Does it say, let not your heart be troubled? Ye believe in God? Believe also in me. There's troubling things that come into our lives that cause us to be troubled. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ would say, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe God's going to take care of you, I will also take care of you. You are bound up in my hand, and we are bound up in God's hand, and no man can pluck you out of my, my hand, and no man can pluck you out of my Father's hand. Amen. Let not your heart be troubled. That is a precious statement of our religion from the leader of our religion. I'm not quoting a little Hindu named Mahatma Gandhi. We are quoting the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. When he stood before these Jews, he was the creator of heaven and earth. He was the Lord of glory. He was the blessed and only potentate. He was the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the faithful and true witness, the Word of God, and the first begotten of the dead. He was the resurrection and the life. He could take death on and destroy it. He defeated sin and the devil. He is the stronger man. And most of them did not know who they saw in front of their eyes. But you see him. You know him. And we are being taught by him by going into his word. And that Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, our leader, our master, our teacher, our rabbi, who is now in heaven, He's gone there before us because He's the first fruits of them that slept. And He's not going to miss one of us if we ever go to sleep and are put in a cemetery. He's going to bring every one of us back. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Amen. What are you troubled about? Are there things that we could be troubled about? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. I am going to take care of all your needs. Let not your heart be troubled. But I went to John 14 for the sixth verse. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I don't care who says it, and I don't care what kind of uh, uh, prefixes he has before his name or suffixes after his name that says there's more than one way to God. No, there's one way to God. Because Jesus said there's only one way, and we believe Him because He's our only teacher. He taught the apostles, and they taught us, and I hope you understand that, it all comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. They are apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, His messengers. So they wrote some epistles for us. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
And we believe that. We believe there's no room for a pope, there's no room for a priest. There's no room for Mary, or there's no room for saints. There's no room for Mohammed, there's no room for Krishna, there's no room for the Great Spirit, there's no room for Buddha or anyone else. There is no room. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That is the religion of Jesus Christ. And if we water that down, then we will fall into 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words of our Lord Jesus Christ, from such withdraw thyself. We will never participate with anybody that thinks there's more than one way to God. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus of Nazareth. There is only one way to God legally, through the legal work of Jesus of Nazareth. There is only one way to God vitally, through the vital work of of Jesus of Nazareth. There is only one way to God practically, through the teaching of Jesus of Nazareth. There is only one way to God finally, through the final work of Jesus of Nazareth. Never allow there to be another way to God. Oh, I love that verse. There is no Savior but the Lord Jesus Christ, and our religion is totally dogmatic about it. He is the way. No man can get to God but by Jesus Christ. You know what Jesus said to the Jews? He said, if you don't believe on me, you're going to die in your sins. Because if you don't believe on me, you're going to die in your sins. John chapter 8 tells us that. that The apostles would pick up this cry in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 when they said, Neither is there salvation in any other... For there is none other name given among men, under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. Amen. The name of Jesus of Nazareth. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the head of our religion. This is the object of our affection. This is the purpose for our worship. This is the name we bear. This is the ordinance and the purpose of us being baptized is to follow Jesus of Nazareth and His wholesome words. And if any doctrine comes from any source contrary to the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is heresy and we are to reject it. Right, amen. He is the truth. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness... And the darkness comprehended it not. Why do you comprehend it? Because he spoke life into your soul. And gave you life so that you could see the light. Because he is the light of those that have life. The words that I speak unto you, he said, are spirit and they are life. They're light. He gives understanding. He's given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true. This is the true God and eternal life. He is the truth. He's called the faithful and the true witness. He told Pilate, I came to bear witness of the truth. Pilate, being educated in a modern institution of higher learning, said, what is truth? I came to bear witness of it. He sure did bear witness of it. He lived it. He was the truth. He is the life. He's the source of life now and the source of life later. John 5, 26, he said, the Father hath committed life and judgment to the Son, Because as the Father hath life in Himself, so hath He given to the Son to have life in Himself. Jesus could speak and raise the dead. Jesus could say, Maid, arise. And guess what a dead maid would do? Arise. Because our Lord Jesus Christ could speak the life-giving words. And He's going to speak a life-giving shout. The Lord shall ascend from heaven with a shout. shout. Get up! Amen. 
And graves are going to rip open in every cemetery. Amen. Can you praise the Lord? Amen. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yes. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. Do you love these words? Yes. Do you love the speaker of them? Do you love the object of them? Yes. He, he makes himself the object. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Is that arrogance? Not when Jesus Christ speaks it. It's pure humility. Because as the Lord of glory, he could have said some worse things, which he did in other places, about those who didn't believe on him. But do you love him? Are you going to sit at his feet this week? Are you going to read the Gospels to find the things that he said? What are your favorites? Are you going to write me and give me a couple of your favorites? Bury me. Crutch me with emails about your favorite statements of the wholesome words of Jesus Christ. Or are you going to have to go see if you can find some? That's okay, too. I'll be a happy pastor if you have to look for some because you didn't have any. Our religion is based on his words, his wholesome words. Look at John 4. John 4. Where can... You could almost take the Gospels and just uh, close your eyes and flip the pages and, and take a stab. Yes. Because you're going to end up with something good spoken by our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord of glory, the Son of God, God in the flesh, Emmanuel, the Word of God. John 4, you know the words well. This is, but the re- a reason I wanted to grab a couple of these right off the front, because Paul started us out several hours ago by saying, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing. And he goes through a long list degrading that false teacher and saying, from such withdraw thyself. That's why. So I want to take you to a couple where Jesus dogmatically said, my religion is the only way to the true God. I'm the only way. I'm the only mediator. There's one mediator, and it's me. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And he says it this way in John 4, and you know these words well, but I want our children and our young people solidly established in this. Don't you ever let anybody tell you there's another way. John 4, speaking to the woman of Samaria, who had her religion, religious denomination, that thought they could worship Jehovah God of heaven their way, And the Jews had their way of Jerusalem of worshiping Jehovah God of heaven. And here's what Jesus had to say about both of them. The woman is speaking in verse 20. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus here is saying that the worship of God was not in Mount Gerizma of the Samaritans, nor was it in Jerusalem on Mount Zion among the Jews, God was seeking new worshipers that would worship Him in spirit and in truth. An internal religion, not based on a place, not based on an altar, not based on a temple, not based on a priesthood, because each man would be a priest. So it would be an internal religion, a worship in spirit and in truth. And true worship wasn't going to be done in either place. Because true worship was the reformed religion of Jesus Christ that the apostles established. 
And so we have this wonderful statement here. And we always want to worship God in spirit and in truth. Spirit means it's an internal religion following the commandments of the New Testament. It's not a place. We can't go through ceremonies like the Old Testament and think we're worshiping God. The worship of God is an internal religion of a changed heart and a changed life and loving Him from our heart, knowing that we're priests, we're forgiven, we can go to God boldly, each and every single one of us as believers in a New Testament assembly. And the Father seeks such to worship Him. Listen, what other, what other statements do you have about the Lord Jesus Christ that you love? Now, you know I got worked up ten days ago, and I'm sorry that I've cheated you. And I truly mean it. I'm sorry that I've cheated you by always turning you to Matthew chapter 6, where it says, take no thought for the morrow. Take no thought for what you're going to put on. Take no thought for what you're going to eat. Take no thought for what you're going to drink. Because don't I take care of the ravens of the field? They don't sow. Ever Ever seen a raven out there with an ox? You know, work in a field, plowing it, making it smooth, so that he can raise a crop and eat? Ravens don't do it, but they get fed decently. They, they grow fat. They, they grow up. They grow fat. They grow old and they die because the Lord takes care of ravens. He says, what are you worried about what you're going to wear? This is Matthew 6. Because the lilies, they don't toil or spin. What's the name of that? Stargazer lily. Yeah, that's Heather's favorite flower. I just can't remember it sometimes. Stargazer lily. The lilies don't toil, they don't spin, but they're arrayed in more beauty than Solomon ever had. And Jesus went through reasoning all that, and he said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And I cheated you by not giving you Luke 12.32. Luke 12.32 is Jesus' words. Do you love the words of Jesus? What are you afraid of today? And if you're not afraid today, he's going to bring something into your life to cause you to be afraid tomorrow. Something will come to cause you fear. Jesus said, fear not, little flock, Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That is an addendum to what we're used to reading from Matthew chapter 6. Those are precious words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are words we can rest our lives on. Fear not. He tells us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, eat or drink. I'll take care of it. Don't be afraid. He tells us that we're little. I've been through this with you already. I know what it, when I repeat myself. I also know what is necessary for your soul so that you're never afraid. Fear not, little flock. He knows we're little. He knows we can't help ourselves. And he compares us to helpless and timid sheep. Amen. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's. And he reminds us that we have a father in heaven. A father that has no limit in his affection for us. Nor has any limit in his inexhaustible supplies for us. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. He has great riches. There's no limit to his financial capacity. There's no limit to his healing power. There's no limit to his relational improvements. There's no limit. And he loves us because he's our father. He wants to do good things for us. He says, if you being sinners know how to do good things for your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father do for them that love Him? Amen. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's pleasure. That would be good. Pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Right. What kingdom? The kingdom of heaven, on earth and in heaven, forever, to dwell with God. Have angels as our servants 
The spirits of just men made perfect, delighting in Jesus Christ and enjoying the riches of glory and all of God's goodness forever and evermore. The paradise of God. If it's His good pleasure to give you that, then anything else in your life that you're lacking right now that you need, He will certainly give you that. He'll certainly give you that. This is Jesus arguing from the greater to the lesser. It's a very powerful way of arguing. Then He can argue from the lesser to the greater. When He can say in the same chapter... There is not a sparrow that can fall to the ground that is forgotten of your father, and ye are of more value than many sparrows. That's arguing from the lesser to the greater because you are of greater value than a sparrow to him. Then he argues from the greater to the lesser that you having a pair of jeans and a sandwich to eat next year, he's going to take care of because he's going to give you the kingdom. If he's going to give you the kingdom and a sandwich is really easy. Fear not, little flock. You're running around like sheep getting all stirred up. You're careful and fearful about many things. Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? And, oh, you say, but... Yes, I hear those words, but can He really, can he really speak peace? Oh, we didn't sing that song, brethren. But uh, let me... Have you ever heard this? Have you ever read this? Have you been taught of Jesus? Peace! Be still! Now, he didn't say that to kids that were yelling in the, other, in the bedroom. Do you know what he said that to? To a great storm on a sea that caused experienced fishermen to fear for their lives. And then there was a great calm because he said three words. Peace. I don't like that song where it has the little P's. You know, when you, when you, when you sing a song and it's got all these little P's above it, it means... Whisper, let's be ladylike as we sing peace. Jesus, you know what it said, what word it uses to describe his use of the word peace? He rebuked the storm. When do you whisper when you're rebuking something? Peace. He was saying, shut up to the storm. Peace. Be still. And there was a great calm. If there's a troubled storm in your life or if there's storm clouds that you see in the affairs of our nation or in the affairs of your children or in your marriage or in our church or anywhere in your health, Jesus can just say peace. You know, a centurion once said to Jesus, if you but speak the word, my servant will be healed. If you but speak the word, because when Jesus says peace, I want to tell you what happens. There is peace. Do you need peace? How much have you been at the feet of Jesus asking him for a little? Has he ever did? Can you show me that he turned someone away that asked for peace? Show me. How about John chapter eight, the first eleven verses? When a woman, when a woman was supposedly taken in adultery and brought by hypocrites to entrap the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus knelt down, played in the sand a little bit. And said to them, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. From the oldest to the youngest, they all got up and walked away because they knew that they couldn't throw a stone because they were as guilty as she was. And then he raised himself up and he said, woman, where are thine accusers? Do you have any accusers? No, Lord. Well, neither do I accuse thee. Go in peace. Do you think that woman had, do you think her peace was a little unsettled five minutes earlier? Being hauled before the Lord Jesus Christ by these Jewish rulers accusing her of being taken in the very act of adultery? Jesus said, Neither do I accuse thee. Go and sin no more. That is speaking peace to a soul. 
That is just wonderful. This is is our ruler and our king. You know, when it's stubborn, rebellious men, he says, if you don't believe on me, you shall die in your sins. How can you escape the damnation of hell? You vipers and hypocrites. But to a woman who was taken advantage of by some men, neither do I accuse thee. Go and sin no more. Another woman, woman, thy sins be forgiven thee. He speaks sweet peace to our souls. When Paul was in the city of Corinth, the Las Vegas, San Francisco, key west of the Greek Empire, the Lord appeared to him in a vision at night, and he said, No man's going to hurt you. I have much people in this city. I have much people in this city. Acts 18, about verse 10. You say, is Jesus quoted in the book of Acts? Oh, yes, a number of times. Acts 18, 10, I have much people in this city. Are you thankful that the Lord Jesus Christ at some point spoke the word to some man who got the gospel to you? Praise the God of heaven. And that he spoke the word to open our hearts like he did Lydia. So we had the man speaking and telling us about Jesus Christ. Look at that poor eunuch bouncing along in his chariot. How can I accept some man should guide me? But the Lord had already spoken. The Lord had already told Philip by the Spirit, go down there in the desert. I've got a job for you in the middle of the desert. If you think that you have been left desolate in the earth, you just got to remember the eunuch. The Lord's never left you desolate. I have much people in this city. And no man's going to hurt you until we get them called in. And so Paul stayed there for 18 months and preached the gospel to the Corinthians. And you have two epistles that were written after he went away to a large church that had many teachers there in the city of Corinth. And you're in a church and you believe the gospel and you've been converted because God said, I have much people, including you, including me. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to say in other places, I'm not going to lose a single one of those that God gave me. And there he is, even in their practical phase of salvation with the Apostle Paul, making sure that the gospel got to them. And that Paul wouldn't quickly leave town because he was afraid of the persecution there. You stay here. No man's going to set on you to hurt you. I have much people in this city. Let me give you one more, just on a totally different subject. There's so many I, I have here. And there's so many I know that you have in your mind. It is so, the Bible is so beautiful. Amen. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. With this we'll close. I hope that you'll go out of this place today in your heart saying, Lord, I want to be more like Mary. I get distracted with my job. I get distracted with my family. I get distracted with my marriage. I get distracted with my bodily exercise. I get distracted with politics. I get distracted with hobbies. I get distracted with March Madness. Lord, forgive me for being distracted and care and, and caring about so many things. Help me to sit at your feet and be taught of you that I will truly be taught as the truth is in Jesus as I heard from Ephesians 4.21. If so be that ye have heard of him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, it will totally change your life. That's why we want to go out of here today. That's... That's the real reason for the preaching. You know, to preach all the sayings of Jesus, we would have to start with Matthew chapter 2 or 3 and work chapter 3 and work all the way forward. 
And we're going to take some of them. But are you going to go read some of those passages and sit at the feet of Jesus and let him speak to you? Get yourself, if you don't have a red letter edition Bible, get it if it makes it easier. I had great pleasure last night in just John chapter 8, just John 8, reading it back and forth, just delighting in it. The way he separated and divided men between those that were of the devil and those that were of God. And what a difference it was. Whatever troubles you have, we started out with John 14, 1 a few minutes ago, let not your heart be troubled. Then you heard me say he can speak peace like he spoke it to a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Well, the Apostle Paul had a problem in his life. He had a messenger of Satan to buffet him, a thorn in his flesh, and he begged God to take it away three times. He didn't want it. It hindered him. It hurt him. He begged the Lord to take it away. And here's the answer. And it better be in the red writing in your red letter editions. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says in verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Sometimes we pray for things and the Lord doesn't take them away. Sometimes we pray for things that we need or want and the Lord doesn't give them. But here's something he will give and this is his word, this is his final word to you this day. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Right. What is Paul's holy response to such a statement by Jesus? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Whatever's bothering you, see if we can fit it into verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities. In persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I take pleasure in having these bad things happen to me in my life. Because then Jesus Christ can show his real power by giving me a cheerful, contented approach to life in spite of these things. Because his strength is made perfect when I am weak and burdened under troubles. And so he delighted in those things. Most gladly. Now that's just crazy speech. But it's based on the words of his rabbi, master, teacher, the Lord Jesus Christ. The words, my grace is sufficient for thee. I can't stop and slow down and go through every single one of you and list the things that I can probably perceive some of that bother you. That that trouble you. That intimidate you. But you know them. And the better thing is, the Lord knows them. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I love to hear the praise of men while they're talking about troubles. It encourages me very much. And if my weak ear and my cold heart hears and rejoices, let me tell you something. The Lord Jesus Christ in glory, who has a perfect ear and a perfect heart, he rejoices and there's blessing to follow. When you're praising the Lord and being thankful for distresses and reproaches and necessities in your life. My grace is sufficient for thee. These are the final words of Jesus to you today. 
It's the wholesome words of the Lord Jesus Christ that must guide, guard, and be the basis for our religion. But if you don't read the Bible, and if you don't get into the Gospels and look for them, and if you don't sit at the feet of Jesus a few minutes a day, you're not going to learn of Him. You'll never be taught of Him. I can't do it all in an hour or two here on Sundays. You can, you can help out so much your soul by, by pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ and sitting at His feet. Those, those Greeks that came over there in the, in the Gospel of John said oh, to the apostles, poor, poor apostles, I don't think they were hurt by it, though. They said to the apostles, we would see Jesus. Right, it's been nice meeting you, but we would see Jesus. Amen. Let's meet with him this day and let's serve him. Amen. Let's meet with him this week and let's serve him throughout this week. May Jesus Christ be praised. Yeah.